This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as a Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Surrender, and it comes from Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and town rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's iTunes or Google or Spotify or Amazon. We're there also. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick up really in part two of the first 11 verses of chapter three. The first six verses we looked at last week and we saw that our confidence is in Christ. And what Paul was trying to get across, and we're even going to hit on the same topic again, is that we are saved through faith and it's not by works. And he warned the Philippian church to beware of the dogs, the evildoers, and religious ritual that we find our salvation through faith and not by works. I told you last week that in verse 2, he talks about mutilation of the flesh, or he's really talking about circumcision. But then he takes it up a notch in verse 3, where he says that we are the circumcision. We are circumcised by the heart, and we find that in the book of Galatians. But then he even takes it up one more notch, and he says, look, we need to find our confidence in Christ. Not in ourself, not in our status, not in our education, but in Christ. Because he says, look, if there was anyone to have a reason to have confidence in the flesh, it is me. I mean, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born to the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was as to the law. I kept the law. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had the zeal. I even persecuted the church above most Pharisees. And yet I kept my righteousness under the law. The law was what I kept. And yet I found myself blameless by what the rules of the law were. But yet I gained nothing. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if you think you are something, you're nothing because I was better than anyone here, and I needed my confidence in Christ. I needed salvation. I pretty much wrapped up the lesson by saying that we all fall short. The Bible teaches that, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the mark of God. And what that saying is that we all have sinned. And no one can stand before this righteous God without 
believing on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's really as simple as the ABCs. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to admit that we need a Savior. We have to admit there is a need. And then we have to believe that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that we don't have to die for our sins, but that he died for us. He died and took care of everything for us. But not only did he do that, but he overcame death. So we have to admit, and then we have to believe, and then we have to confess with our mouth that he is Lord. We have to commit that we are going to chase and follow him. We are going to start working on a process called sanctification. The ultimate meaning of last week's lesson was that we were to put no confidence in the flesh, but it was to be in Christ. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Paul is saying it is through the law and us trying to do our works that we realize and we have to then admit and believe and, co and confess. See, we can't earn our salvation. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And that's what Paul was telling them, that, again, it's not about following a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. It's not about circumcision, but it was about us understanding our identity and where we are, having a truthful conversation with ourselves, and responding to the Holy Spirit who knocks on our heart and allows us to be saved. With all that said, turn with me to Philippians 3. We're going to pick up in verse 7, and I'll be reading out the ESV. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and not having righteousness of my own that come from the law but that which that comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Just in the previous couple of verses, Paul had boasted in his rich religious heritage. He gave an illustration of where he had come from, and his pedigree, his religious party that he was affiliated with, his devotion to being zeal for God, and most of all, his purity in keeping the law of Moses. He was above anyone if anyone should take pride in what they do and how they do it. But then he goes on to say, and that's where we pick up in verse 7, I count it all lost. All that means nothing to me. Paul had many reasons to boast in who he was and how he lived and his education. But he says, it means nothing to me. Paul understood that knowing Jesus is better than anything else in this world. And he says, I've lost it all because of him. And I've suffered because of him. But to me, it's all rubbish. Paul says, I consider all that garbage. If I can't gain Christ, all of that is garbage. Why would I put my faith in that? Paul is trying to make sure this audience and that we understand that all of this were obstacles blocking his path to God. He relied on these things, and these were a set of rules that he followed. And again, I said last week, there's nothing wrong with the rules. Even Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But Paul is saying that the set of rules aren't going to get me to heaven. Matter of fact, I was lost more than anyone. 
I need Jesus more than anyone. Jesus came knocking at my door on that road to Damascus. And you know what? I gave all this up because I realized that they were the incorrect way to Jesus. He's going as far to tell these people, he's saying everything is worthless. Nothing has value in life compared to knowing Jesus. In the ESV, I want to look at a word where it says rubbish or garbage may be in your translation. If you go back to the King James Version, it actually says, do count them but dung. But if you go back to the Greek, that's probably the best translation because the Greek word here actually means dung, crap, excrement, poop, filth. But what Paul is saying without swearing to you today if your hope is in anything other than in Jesus Christ, it's worth as much value as what's floating around in the sewage lagoon. So how does this apply to you and I? Well, let me ask you, have you counted all things lost? Have you inventoried your life to see what you value? What do you put as number one, number two, number three, number four, number five? I mean, I know what mine are. My number one is my wife and my family. My number two is would be my kids or part again my family. Number three would be work. Number four would be health. And number five would be stuff. And what I think Paul wants us to see, based on what I see here, is that we've got to put that down. That can't be number one. What, no, what needs to be number one is God. we got to count everything else as lost. And you go, well, Tim, doesn't the Bible teach that family comes first? Listen to what Jesus had to say about that very statement from the book of Matthew, chapter 8. We'll start in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own. What Jesus is saying here is that if you want to follow me, you can't say, well, not just yet, because I got something a little higher than you. See, this man wanted to follow Jesus, but not just yet. He knew it was good and that he should do it. But he felt there was a good reason why he couldn't do it just yet. He's not asking for permission to dig a grave for his deceased father. He wants to remain in his father's house and care for him until his father dies. And then he would go follow Jesus. In other words, he put family first over Jesus and Jesus says no. Here's where I'm going with this. Whatever you have in your top five, Jesus wants you to count those things as lost. Now, again, don't read too much into this. God may not even require you to put any of that stuff down. But what he is saying and what Jesus was teaching is that we can't have anything in the primary spot on the throne of our heart. Pointing back to what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, I had all this stuff and I let it go. I suffered the loss. It was a suffering to let go of those things and put Jesus as number one. But I did it because I counted all that other stuff lost. Jesus taught about this in another point in a parable that he taught out of the book of Luke, chapter 12, starting in verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You hear what God said to this man in this parable? He says, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will this all belong to? What Jesus was teaching here is that nothing should be above God. We shouldn't put our trust in ourselves, in the earth. We should put our trust in God. See, nothing or no one else should have the throne of our heart except God. And anything else you count as loss. Well, then look what he says in verse 9 and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, Paul declares that Christ is the ultimate. He's above the law. Really, that's the theme of Philippians. When we understand who we are in Christ, when we understand that Christ is above the law, then we can rejoice. We can find joy in our confidence in Christ. So what Paul is saying is that the law was able to produce a righteousness within himself. But that came from the law. And he doesn't want that. He wants the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. He wants the belief in Christ. He wants the sacrifice. He wants his righteousness. And he gets all that by his faith in Christ. I know this is simple and most of us believe this, but I just want to make sure we have the right ideology. That our belief is that Christ is above all else He's above all else in our life, and he's above all our abilities. Do you remember what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 22? Chapter 22, Matthew, verse 34, he said, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to what? To test him. He said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and that this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying is that we got to put God number one in our life. That is the most and the most greatest commandment of the law and what he taught. And second is that we put others before us. It's about love. He says you can go through the Old Testament and you can go read what the prophets said and it's all going to teach that we put God first and we put others second. So let me get back to verse 9. It says that we need to be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what is he saying here? Let's turn over to Romans 8. Let's read the first four verses of Romans 8, uh, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because this is what I really want you to catch. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That says right there that when we 
believe in Jesus Christ, that he did all the finished work, that he came, he took the sinful flesh sin, and he took it on himself in order that we could be righteous before God and we can be fulfilled because he did the work for us and that we don't do it in our flesh, but we do it in our spirit. So again, this begs the question, how are we found in him like he starts off in verse 9? Well, we're found trusting in him, putting him number one. We're found believing in him that we just read in Romans 8. We're found living and loving for him, that we walk worthy that Ephesians teaches us. If we want to be found in him, that means that we live God's way, that we do God's thing, that we believe in his finished work and we become saved, and then, then we start working and living and becoming more like Jesus Christ. My question to you today is, are you found in Christ? Are you being found in yourself? It's one or the other. See, to be found in Christ means that we have to be the end of us. We have to die to the old self and walk in the new self. Listen to what Paul says about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, uh, verses 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is teaching the church at Ephesus here, and what he's teaching us, and what we need to understand is that when we're saved, we become a new creature. And we have a new self, and we have to put and die to our old self. He used an analogy of clothes. He says, strip off your old self and put on the new clothes, the new self. He's talking about how they are to live their life. The old self is the one we had prior to coming to Christ. The new one is the one that we now have that's come to live inside of us. That is the one created to be like God, to be righteous and holy. The question is, do you get up every day? And do you put on the old clothes or do you put on the new wardrobe? Do you put on the new clothes? Paul is telling the Philippian church effectively the same thing, to put God first, to count it all loss, be found in him. Paul wants to change their way of thinking. He wants them to be found in Christ and come to the end of self. So my question is, what is in your life that's keeping you from being found in him? What part of your heart needs to be changed? And look how he wraps up verse 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What we see here is Paul's love for Jesus almost wasn't enough. He's saying, I want to know the power of the resurrection. That begs the question, then what is the power of the resurrection? Well, the power of the resurrection is victory over sin, that sin no longer would have dominion over man that we no longer had to be controlled by sin. Paul pointed this out back in Romans 6, 20. He said that when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, when we were a slave to sin, we didn't have to live a righteous life. We didn't try to live and be the image of Christ. But now that we're saved with the power of the resurrection, we have now overcome that and we can walk and look more like Jesus every day. The power of the resurrection also had the victory over death. Death would no longer have power over man. That we could live forever. Even though that we die, we still live. Remember what Jesus told Martha? He said in verse 25 of John 11, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? Jesus was teaching that if we believe in him and he is our Lord and Savior, and we put him first, that even though we die, we live. We have victory over death because he had victory over death. The victory of the resurrection means we also will have a new body. We'll have a new body when we get to heaven. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 10, really, but he says that, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house that made with hands eternal is in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What Paul is saying is that we have on a a body, an old body, but we have a new body when we get to heaven. And that new body is not going to be this tent that we're going to shed when we die. These are just three of the things that we know about the power of the resurrection that we get. And that's why Paul says, I want that power of the resurrection. And we should want the power of the resurrection. And we get that by what? We do that by becoming saved. And we do that by putting God first in our life. Like he says in Philippians 3, 7, we have to count everything else in our life as loss. See, it's when we strip everything away from this world that we can be found in him, that we can have the resurrection power of Jesus. But while we're here on earth, it has been said that the battle is between sin and righteousness. It is sin about pleasing ourselves, taking what we want and doing it, being king ourselves and putting ourselves as number one. But if we want the power of the resurrection, if we want to be found in him, then we have to put him as number one. We have to die to ourselves. Jesus taught on this as well. Matthew 16, verse 24, he said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is asking that question we all have to answer. What is your soul worth? What if you gained the whole world? What if you had all the money in the world and you had all the fame or all the riches? Is that worth your soul? Is that worth your eternity? There's a decision that has to be made. And if you want the power of the resurrection, then you've got to quit pleasing yourself. That is what's the hardest part of being a Christian. It's dying to ourself and taking up the cross. When we won't deny ourselves. That causes us as Christians to do things that displease Christ, that ultimately grieves him. It's the desire to gratify self that is sin before God. As long as we are on the throne, as long as self is on the throne, Christ cannot be. And then Paul wraps up in verse 11 by saying, by any means, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it. That's what by any means means. I think about when I played football. I had coaches that would say, I don't care what it takes. Leave it on the field. That makes you the winner. It doesn't matter what the scoreboard said. Did you leave it on the field? Did you do what it takes to be successful? Some of you listening to me, you understand what I'm talking about because in the corporate world, 
That's what they want in their best employees. They want it by any means to be successful. Do what it takes. Go above and beyond. In the business world, in the sports world, some take this too far by any means and they cheat. They take enhancement drugs. They steal or they do things under the table that shouldn't happen. Unethical things. And what did Paul do by any means? He surrendered. He surrendered who he was. He surrendered his status. He surrendered his titles, his wealth. Everything that Paul had, he surrendered. And that's what he said by any means. And really, that's the crux of today's lesson. Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to take whatever is that one, two, three, four, and five? Are you willing to put them down? Are you willing to put up the white flag and say, I'm willing to die to myself and take up my cross? What is that thing that is holding you back from being spiritually where you know you should be? What sin, what habit, what part of your past are you unwilling to consider as rubbish? Maybe another way to look at it, what thought, what goal, what hope, what dream are you putting above Christ? But Jesus is knocking on your heart today and he's asking, are you willing to surrender this? Jesus is saying, I know it'll be hard. It was hard for me. It was hard for my disciples. And if you want to be my disciple, it'll be hard for you. But through grace and mercy, I will help you do it. Through my Holy Spirit, I will help you get through it. Through my Holy Spirit, we will do it together. Are you willing to do that? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for this study in the book of Philippians. Lord, I pray today that I don't find anything in my heart that is holding me back from having the power of the resurrection. Lord, that I count everything lost, that I put nothing before you. Lord, I think about the song, Jesus be the Lord of all. In that song that we used to sing as I grew up, there's a verse that says, In my heart there are kingdoms of a world that's all my own. Kingdoms that are only seen by myself and God alone. In the past, when I tried to rule my world, it seemed to fall apart. But Jesus be the Lord of all, all the kingdoms of my heart. And then the second verse says, I guess I only fooled myself when I said I yielded all, but in the secret corner of my heart was a kingdom that I did not let fall. I surrender now and make my heart your throne. Lord, rule its kingdoms, great and small, for if you're not Lord of everything, you're not Lord of all. Lord, I pray that we make you Lord of all. Lord, that we don't have some kingdom, even in the corner of our heart, that we've not yet let fall. And Lord, if we have it, please, right now, let your Holy Spirit knock on the lives that you want to speak to. Shine a light in there. Let them see that, Lord. Convict them that they'll lay it at your feet and they'll let you be Lord of all. Lord, sometimes we don't let you be Lord of all because we're not willing to count the cost. We don't want to be thought uncool. We don't want to be hurt financially. Whatever the reason, Lord, I pray today that we will just put our trust in you and we'll make you number one of our life. You are our treasure. You are where at number one priority in our life. Lord, let us be found in you. Let us walk in you daily. And Lord, let us walk in a way worthy that you call us to, putting on the new self and not the old self. Lord, I pray for our passion. Lord, that we'll have a passion for you. That, Lord, we'll go tell others. We'll go tell about the what you've done in our life. Lord, that we'll have a passion that we'll speak about you like we do other things in this world that we're excited about. 
Lord, I pray for the one today that showed up and maybe they haven't counted it all lost or maybe they haven't been found walking in you like they should or they don't have that passion. Lord, I pray today that they would lay it at your feet. They will give it to you. Lord, I pray for the one today that may not know you at all. Lord, that they'll understand that they have to first admit that they are a sinner. Lord, that we need a Savior, that everyone has fallen short. Lord, I pray today they'll admit they're a sinner. Lord, they'll believe in your finished work on the cross and how you overcame death. And Lord, they will confess with their mouth that you are Lord and they'll commit to following you. Lord, that's what it takes to be saved, to really believe that and do that. Lord, right now, I pray that you will just bless everyone that hears the sound of my voice. Lord, they'll have a good week as they go through this week. Lord, we thank you for all your many blessings. We thank you for the blessings you give this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.